We're constantly looking for where we fit. We're just trying to avoid being bottom. So it means that we pay the money for the courses, we pay the money for the best microphone because we get to say this is what we're doing. Hey, what's happening, everybody? Larry Roberts back with another awesome episode of the Readily Random Podcast. Today, I have a guest that was referred to us by a friend of the show, and I'm very excited to have him here today. His name is Paul Socket, and Paul, you may recognize him. He was in Jurassic World. He is an actor, a voice actor, does all kinds of things in the creative space. He loves to talk about working with words and how we can use words to formulate our stories. And as you know, I enjoy taking those stories that we each share and building on those stories and relaying those stories to those around us in a way that can help us build relationships and expand our contact sphere and just have more of an impact on a daily basis. And hopefully we're going to learn a little bit from Paul today. Paul, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited. That's great, man. You know, it's fun. Having Jeff on the show earlier was tremendous. He is quite the character. And we, we had such a good time that he said, you know what? I've got somebody that you need to have on the show. And he recommended you. So thank you so very much for, for working on that recommendation and joining me today. My pleasure. Jeff is an absolute superstar. Yeah, he really is. He, he's kind of an amazing guy. And his take on incorporating play into our day-to-day activities. You know, if you look at my backdrop, it kind of falls right into line with my own personal <laughs> philosophy. So... So speaking of philosophies, man, tell us about yours. What is your philosophy and what what keeps you going day to day? My philosophy changes, but at the moment it is playground, not platform. And also there is there are no answers, there's only information. So probably to explain that a little bit. So the concept of the playground versus platform idea is that I kind of hate niches. I think Americans call them niches, don't you? Like this idea of having a business niche, kind of having an identity, having something that people recognize. And it just, to me, feels so limiting. Because I, I mean, I'm an actor and I've been an actor for 15 years. And I'm starting to remove myself from the term of actor and just and play more with the idea of storyteller. And so this concept of the playground is that within the confines, this sort of safe space, you've got the slide and the swings and the roundabout and the, the climbing frame and all these things. And there's no expectation from anyone as to how long you're meant to spend on a certain piece of equipment before moving on. And so you can really feel the intuitive flow of going from piece to piece just when you fancy it. But the idea of platform is that you're in that playground space and you're taking the, the blocks and the scaffolding and the bits of things and you're climbing up on top of this thing to sort of go, hey, everyone, look at me. <laughs> and which is fine, but everyone looks up and goes, oh yeah, there's someone up there and you've worked really hard to get up there. And then they just naturally bring their view back down to the playground area because there's lots of other different things going on. And we can't hope to hold someone's attention in one specific place for a long time because society has been shaped in a way that we have very short attention spans now. And so the hard work that goes into going, this is where I am and I'm staying here because I'm on this very high platform is exhausting in the making of it. And also we don't see anything else around us because we're so busy building this thing that we might have wanted to go on the slide, but it's time wasted because of this goal, this destination that we want to get to. So for me, you know, I made a website recently, which I've had before. I had the, the paulsocket.com domain before, and it was just an actor's website. 
And I kind of hate actors' websites, but everyone had one. So you kind of go with the flow. You sort of go, oh, well, that's what everyone does, so I'm going to do it. And so I set up this PaulSocket.com, and I was like, here's some photographs of shows I did seven years ago. Like, who cares? Like, I just kept coming back to the point, like, who cares? <laughs> and so now it's just very much a case of I've set up PaulSocket.com, and I've got stuff about my workshops. I've got podcasts I've spoken on. I've got, I, wrote, I wrote a blog entry. I've written one. And I haven't written one since, and that's okay. Because the thing is, this idea of a choose-your-own-adventure website really lights me up. Because someone might come and go, wait, who's Paul Socket? You know, a, a random connection that I don't even know might sort of go, oh, right, okay, click on this. Oh, so wait, he does workshop. Oh, wait, he's an actor. Oh, wait, he's written things. Oh, wait, he's done. And you get to choose. And then you can go away. And then the next time you come back to the website, I might have moved things around because I got bored with the layout or I've added another thing. And you sort of go, oh, there's another thing. And it's there. I didn't see this last time. And there feels like a much more, there's much more capacity for being present. I can see that. But in, in some ways, that's, that's counterintuitive, especially if you're looking at it from an entrepreneurial perspective. Because we're told all the time as entrepreneurs that you have to have a niche. Now, this is coming from a guy whose podcast is called Readily Random. Try putting that in a niche. Good luck. And <laughs> I did that when I started the podcast intentionally because I wanted that freedom. I wanted that openness. I wanted that playground, as you're referring to it. I, I wanted to slide down the slide and then jump on the, what did you call it, the roundabout? I think we call it a merry-go-round here in the States. Same thing, you know, same thing. But that was my my. That's what I set out to do. That was my goal. But in doing that, I found that I was confronted with some significant struggles in maintaining a, a permanent audience. And the reason for that is people were telling me, let me back that up. What I'm told the reason for that is, is not that you're a horrible podcaster, Larry, which that may be the case, but it's because it's not niche. It's not focused. People aren't just randomly looking for something to listen to. And if they are, there are other offerings out there that are most likely going to be a little more attractive. There's a ton of celebrities that read their own autobiographies, or there's a ton of celebrity podcasts. I mean, there's so many options out there without having a niche. How do I expect to get any of that attention that, as you said, we are programmed to have short attention spans. But then again, on the flip side of that coin is we're also told every day that as media creators, that as content creators, that we are dealing in attention. We're brokering attention. So there, there's a contrast there that's very difficult to overcome. What are some of the ways that you think we could attack this from maybe a different perspective where we could still have that tremendous playground experience where we as the creators can enjoy our time and enjoy our space, but also maybe get a little some of that success that most of those that are on those platforms you mentioned are celebrating. Just, it's really interesting because I really want to ask, you know, who, not necessarily a name, but like what role was the person who said, hey, look, random's great, but, you know, you're not going to drive the same amount of people every time to your website. Like, was it an industry professional who's... Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm huge on coaches, okay? I mean, I'm a coach myself. I help other podcasters grow their shows, but I know that I need guidance as well. 
So I still have a podcasting coach that is a well-known professional in the industry. He's one of the top coaches out there. And I befriended him at a conference and we became co-workers. I started, I hired him for his services and now we're, but it's not just him. Every quote unquote podcasting coach that I've ever spoken with, they'll tell you the same thing. And this is the system that's been made, which is that success is increased by the scale of which you grow to. And, and the number of people who listen and the number of sales you make on merchandise. And it's just more and more and more. It really comes down to, to me anyway, it really comes down to need and want. If there is a true need to connect with people using the media that is podcasting, then we can ask the question, what's the lowest stakes version of that? Because do we need, I don't work in podcasting, so I don't know what a big number is, but if, if you know, do I need 50,000 people to listen, to click on my podcast every week or every month? That would be awesome. It would be, I'm sure it would. <laughs> that would be tremendous. <laughs> yeah, because we, like rewards are real. You know, the dopamine hit we get from seeing a big number is real. Sure. And it's also conditioned. And so when we ask a passion to provide for us, it becomes like the stakes go really high because it means that I'm, I need this thing that I would do for free to give me all my money. So the reframe is real and it's a massive shift at 90 degrees. And what you're asking, what you're being asked to do is actually build a new company. If I did, you know, amateur dramatics and I loved it and someone went, you're really good. You should be an actor. I hate the words you should and you should just, they are the most debilitating unhealthy words in the English lexicon. And so if I then choose to be an actor, I'm not asking the world to pay me for what I do. What I'm being asked to do is to make an, a company. So it, that involves all of these different facets. And it means I have to find people to employ me. I need to get headshots. I need to do the voice reels. I need to do the things. And that's nothing to do with the passion that I have. So this idea of when the whole system says that success is equivalent to scale. It is a revolutionary act to really key into our intuitive selves and to ask, what do I actually need and what do I want? Because if 50,000 people listening, clicking on it per month is amazing, is that really the thing to aim for? Like if that happens, that's amazing. But do we need 50,000 people to click on our thing to make it still feel fizzy and exciting and joyful and playful? Maybe not. But then that just gets to be... You probably cut it in half and most people would be just ecstatic. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Well, so this is the thing. By placing a number on something and going, okay, how does that feel? It gets to be real. There's a big difference between thoughts and feelings. And so I can think about how I'm going to feel if I get 25,000 clicks a month. But then when I actually say that out loud or I write it down and it's outside of me, I get to feel what that actually feels like. By doing that, I get to kind of refine what I actually want from the project that I've created rather than going, I'm entering into the world of podcasting, for example, and it's huge. And there are these people on platforms, these celebrities and people reading their books and all of this very celebritized, if that's even a word, arena. And then you've got people making for the sake of making. And so it's, we lump it all into one, but actually it's very separate and it gets to be individual. I think that's the thing that, that I notice more and more is this idea that because I'm in a, an, a niche, 
or an industry or a genre that I then start to compare. That I work out where I am in the table of it all because that's all we've ever been told to do. We get the gold stars at school or we get the F or we get the naughty corner or we get given an award at the end of our school year or whatever. And we're constantly finding where we sit in this hierarchy of, of status quality that makes me want to vomit. And if, if that's the only system that we've ever been exposed to, how can we expect to do something different when it goes into the college and university, work, relationships, social circles, anything? We're constantly looking for where we fit and we're just trying to avoid being bottom. So it means that we pay the money for the courses, we pay the money for the best microphone, we pay them because even if it doesn't derive the results, we get to say this is what we're doing. And so we're somehow better than somebody else. We're just trying to avoid being bottom. But we know we're not going to be top because that feels astronomically in the distance. So we're just trying to keep this steady middle and like stay afloat and go, what do I do now? I'll buy another course. I'll, I'll find another mentor. All of that is outside of ourselves. So we get to ask this really beautiful question of what is true in this moment? And I get to just come to the present and I get to say, okay, I'm in an apartment in Portugal. My financial situation is this. And I get to go into my banking. I get to take all the numbers. I get to write it down on a piece of paper. And I get to know exactly what I have as a piece of factual content. Not, I've got about, I guess. Because to know the specific number matters. Because when we know the number, we know how much we're paying per month. We know what we need. And so we know that where we thought we might need $1,000 or £1,000, we look at the number and go, oh, actually, I only need 350 to cover myself for this month. And the difference of that is massive. And so it's not about striving. It's not about going, but what are they doing? It's like, no, stuff that. It doesn't matter. <laughs> but that's the system we're in. So to question any of that is really a revolutionary act. And I'm all about revolution at the moment. Yeah, I'm picking up on that, actually. <laughs> you know, it's so hard, though, man, because so many of us, you know, I, I gear a lot of these conversations to, uh, towards the entrepreneurial side of things. And as a new entrepreneur myself, you know, I've been podcasting now for, what is it, five years, six years, something like that. But I just started on the entrepreneurial side of things this year. So here I am, I find myself trying to find success in the entrepreneurial space, yet still maintain the randomness take on things. And I find it to be very difficult to meet those goals, especially from a financial perspective, without finding a niche. And I, I find myself creating and even building, I guess creating and building, synonymous uh, almost there, micro niches in order to market or create marketability for myself, my services, and my products. So not having a niche therefore gets to be a niche. Well, I, I see what you're saying there. Yes, it does. But it's not as marketable as a defined niche per se. Because again, who's looking at, who is, is out there, and I'm not hiring you as a coach now, and I'm just using me as an example because we don't have any other examples to work with, but who out there is just randomly looking for a random podcast that just happens to have uh, an actor from Jurassic World and a gentleman by the name of Paul Socket on it? 
Well, I'm lifting, I'm lifting my hand up, not because I'm a narcissist and I want to listen to a podcast about me, but sometimes I, I will sometimes open Spotify and sometimes a word will just pop in my head. And that word might be random. And so I'll type random into the search engine. I'll see what playlists there are. I'll see what things there are. And I find some of the best playlists and some really interesting and some really terrible podcasts <laughs> based on those things. But the algorithm is not your friend. So again, by doing that, by just going to go in, what's a word? Like just reading like something on a receipt and going space and I'm going to type space in and see what there is. Just being curious is a revolutionary act because everything is so convenient these days. You don't have to be curious. No, right. Why is a really big question. You don't have to be curious. We're programmed not to be curious because all the answers are right there. They're being embedded in us all the time. I mean, if you are a worshiper of, as my parents used to call it, I'm going to date myself a bit here, the one-eyed God or the television, right? You're constantly bombarded by all of these conveniences and all of these ideas. So we don't have to think. We're being told what to think. We're programmed what to think. And I like the fact that you're on this revolutionary take on things because we need to get back to thinking for ourselves. We need to understand what being creative is. We need to understand how to use that creativity to craft our own stories, to find our own individuality and stand out on our own merits not based by comparing our comparing ourselves to influencers or or motivators don't look at a grant cardone or a gary vaynerchuk and go oh that's where i want to be well how, why why is one of the hugest questions and actually the the prime example of this is is when a child asks you why and you say oh because why oh well that why why the process of that is that four whys ago you didn't know <laughs> <laughs> and you continue to find some way of answering the question without really answering the question. So it generates another why. And really, all they're asking you to do is to say, I don't know, but that's a really great question. And I would be interested in knowing the answer as well. Because then what then gets to happen is, and say it's a parent, the child asks why, and the parent maybe tells a story for the child that the child doesn't want to see me be vulnerable. The child wants to know that I always have the answer. So I then start, I dismiss my own story. And by story, I mean my, my truth, which is, I don't know. And I start to generate an answer for the sake of the person. Because it's really vulnerable to admit we don't know something. So in that context of absorbing media, and I would offer a reframe of saying, we're not actually being told what to think. We're actually being told to stop thinking altogether because we are immersed in media and our life experience and the conditioning we've received and the experiences we've had will mean that we pick out certain pieces of that information and we attach it to the story that we had, which just provides evidence that story is correct that our identity is actually what we thought it was and so we will keep finding more and more evidence because it's easier to keep finding the evidence than it is to go is that true Ooh, error cannot compute you know and the whole system goes to shit because you're like oh 
And this is why it's difficult to have a conversation these days or a debate these days, because it's often about attack and defend rather than offer and receive or listen and... There's no counterpoint. There's no point-counterpoint exchange. It is 100%, especially on social media, especially on certain topics, which we're not going to get into here because there are those certain topics. It is strictly attack and defend which that takes away from relationship building at its core. If we can't have these exchanges, if we can't have these conversations, how do we build anything? Because all it is, we're either blindly agreeing, right? Nobody wants to get canceled these days, so we agree with everything. Even if we don't agree with it, outwardly we agree because we know that's what we're supposed to do. So now we're not even tuning into who we really are and what our belief systems are, what, where, where we're coming from, what our story is, because we've been programmed that this is how it is. This is how you are. This is how everyone is. How do we get out of that, man? How do we break that? How do we start having conversations? How do we start trading stories and reconnecting on a much deeper scale than what we have with our Instagram accounts and the the pictures of our fancy lunches and our fancy cars that may or may not even be ours. Yeah, I see one more picture of a lasagna. (laughs) (laughs) So again, this is kind of why I'm adopting the playground element. Because some people, I, I watch these YouTube videos and I watch things and the Instagram videos and all of this stuff. And there's always apology about not posting, like they might miss a day of, of this. Every Thursday I post a thing and, and, and they go, sorry, I, I'll be better from now on. I'm like, wait a second, wait, just wait a second. What have you just done? Like you've apologized for your truth, which was life was really busy and you did not want in that moment to do a post on a Thursday. But because we suddenly have followers, because we suddenly have people who chose to click on the button and then get, you know, get the A train into our into our media, we feel obligated to appease them, to please them. And so we're com- it's completely at the other end of the spectrum of like, we know that there are 8 billion people in the world and we know that there are 14 billion Twitter and Instagram accounts. So why... Even if you don't post on a Thursday, they might not notice, (laughs) right? They don't live for your content. Oh, but why don't they? That's our goal is for them to live for our content. Let me put this, this is so spot on and you're hitting the nail so on the head so, so directly. Yesterday, I ended up in the emergency room. At the, I've been having some medical issues over the past week. Really, it's just my gallbladder, not that big a deal, but I've had a couple of CT scans and it uncovered a few things that were questionable, right? one of which my doctor misinterpreted as a collapsed lung. So they called me yesterday. She goes, you have a collapsed lung. Get to the ER immediately. I go to the ER immediately. They go, you don't have a collapsed lung. What? Why would she say this? I'm like, bro, I don't know. That's just the word she used. She said, get here. They said, would you be here if she hadn't told you that? I said, no, I wouldn't be here. I'm fine. My oxygen readings were great. Everything was great. But this CT scan was misread. So My point in saying that is that even though I went yesterday to the ER and I've been having this gallbladder pain for a week now that's excruciating, it sucks a lot. But last night after getting home from the ER, what did I do? I released podcast episodes on Tuesdays 
because of the pain and going to the doctor and the visits, I didn't have this week's episode ready. But as soon as I found out I wasn't dying and I didn't have a collapsed lung and the nodules they found in the CT scan on my lungs wasn't cancer, oh, what did I do? I'm like, well, I got a little pain, but I got to get this episode out. So I came home and I buckled down and for hours I was just pounding through this episode, setting up the social media posts, setting up Instagram, setting, getting it out there, making sure that it dropped at 5 a.m. this morning because I didn't want somebody to go, oh, he didn't post that episode on Tuesday. He let us down. So, yeah, because the thing is, if you let someone down, they'll think something of you. Because we aren't, we're so busy telling someone else's story for them, for example, they expect, they hope for, they look for at 5 a.m., my podcast. I doubt they're looking for it at 5 a.m., but right. just in case, you know? Insomniacs yeah. <laughs> exist. Hey, come on, come on. Your podcast's amazing. There are people at 5 a.m. setting an alarm. Come on. Um, come on, Larry. But the story is that if I make a promise that I have to keep it, commitment, it's all about commitment. Everything's about commitment and everything's about sales and creating an identity, finding a niche, generating merchandise, all these things is selling a version of yourself. But because success is derived by numbers, we don't necessarily create an image or a, a, a post or a video that is necessarily 100% true for us in that moment, we start to generate something that is wider, something that is broader, something that we feel will appeal to more people because we need more people. If the story we want to tell, we feel is not going to be as appealing to, to a large number of people, it means that we externalize the need becomes I need more people to come here. And the only thing we can control is our own choice. We are not responsible, nor can we control someone's response to anything. So this is why conversations don't happen as much, because it's often around extreme energetic kind of placement. And so what I'm trying, what I can go into that doing is trying to change your mind. And I've externalized it. I'm not responsible, nor can I control your mind. All I can do is show up and be a, not even a role model. I kind of is a role model. If I just show up and I share my truth and I don't back down from acknowledging that truth is true for me in this moment, because you could ask me the same question the next day and the answer might be different, of going, I hear you, this is what's true for me now. The other person can only come back to the present or they can leave. It is not our responsibility to change someone's mind because that's impossible. I mean, this is a business thing. What is it that you have to be exposed to four to seven different types of media of a product before you buy it or something? There's some sort of test done that, you know, you've got to listen to a radio advert and a TV advert and a poster and a magazine before, and your brain goes through these stages of attachment to that product before you buy it. And it may have changed. I think I read that years ago, but it's, it feels true to me that you, that you see something and you, more, like you glance past it. And the second one, you sort of go, oh, wait, I saw that somewhere, didn't I? And you're off. And then the third one is going, oh, wait, I, did I see that on the other tube? And then we start to associate the significance of seeing, oh, wait a minute, there was a poster on the tube. I don't know when there's this radio, pro like there's money in that. Maybe they're good. 
because they're appealing to a large audience. So that must mean that they have some sort of status or standard or that's, that's high. And then we see them on the telly and we go, oh, wait a second. And we just, we've attached that product because it's just subliminal. And so it's that with, with conversation is if there's someone that doesn't agree with us, we don't have to give them all the answers. We can just offer information that feels true to us in that moment that they will take away. And hopefully they'll have another conversation with somebody else who's able to be honest, to be true. Might be me again. And it's a practice. This is why it's not about answers. It's about information because we we are told to search for answers because answers denotes control. So we're seeking control and control is just safety. I just want to feel safe. We look for the partner who doesn't have blonde hair because the ex that we had blonde hair. Sure. Right? The amount of times I've heard people say, huh, I'm not going for a person with glasses again, or I'm not, I never, I'm not going out with an actor again. I'm like, so you've literally taken how many millions of people off the market because of a previous experience? Because the idea is I want safety. And so that piece of evidence, not information, evidence proves that actors are not good to go out with. So we start limiting ourselves. So we start to then worry like, well, how am I ever going to succeed at finding a partner? How am I ever going to succeed in business? If, if we're shying away from a certain product because we had a bad experience with it when we were seven or because of whatever. So Paul, are you trying to say that you're available to date and for yes. anybody that, I'm just kidding. But <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not, I'm with a wonderful Amazonian warrior queen and we've been together for three years and she is, she's a coach and she is a wonderful human being and we have an amazing relationship and it is based on honesty and it is based on saying the hard things and trusting each other with our difficult words. And the big difference between that is normally, or I've experienced, it's never about me sharing my difficult words, it's about trying to protect the other person from their difficult words. I think we should break up because it would be better for you. I'm like, who am I to make a choice for somebody else? Or because I really don't want to say, I don't want this because that's very vulnerable. Right. So as a man, I adopt the protective role, the father role almost and go, I see what's best for you. Here's my decision. Because it means that I get to put a mask on rather than going, Paul the human is not happy in this relationship and I want something different. So my partner and I do that and it's not always, it's simple, but it's not easy. And that's the really important difference because everything is simple, but not necessarily easy because of the systems that are in place, because of wanting to create something readily random and you've placed yourself in an environment where that is not okay because people don't feel safe because they don't know where to place you because they have a late, they have the labels, the blank labels ready and they're ready to slap one on your forehead and write on it entertainment or comedy or, <laughs> and they don't know. So, so they've written 17 different stickers and they're ready to slap it and like, oh wait, no, it's not that. Oh, oh what? So it's not our job to protect other people because we aren't responsible for their response. So asking that why, yeah, we've come there, we've come back around. Asking why 
do I need or why do I want 25,000? We get to ask what our story around that is because maybe I saw a statistic that Gary Vaynerchuk gets 25,000, whatever, hits a, hits a month. And so I'm like, yeah, I do want to be like, because he's successful and I want success. Again, we've taken success as a concept and we've lumped all examples of success into one lump. And I just want to get in there. And I just want to find out that I'm somewhere in the middle, eventually, maybe, hopefully, possibly, please. Because maybe I can like, via osmosis, like generate some of Gary Vaynerchuk's success and, you know, Barack Obama's. <laughs> and I'm like, just, they're just human beings who have been in positions where they have had profile and that's okay. It doesn't mean anything. It just gets to be okay. It just gets to be information, not evidence that you have to be present to be successful. <laughs> Man, ask why, ask why. And I like the fact that we brought that back around this late into the podcast. It kind of ties everything together and, and puts a nice little bow on it unintentionally but it, it brought us back to where we were, which I think is the, it's a kind of a sign of a good conversation. So, well, Paul, where can folks find out more about you? Yeah, absolutely. You can head to my website, www.paulsocket.com. And I post on Instagram when I feel like it, because I don't owe you nothing. <laughs> yeah. My handle is soul pocket. <laughs> a little bit of wordplay. And those are my main kind of outlets really. Excellent. Excellent. Well, man, I want to say thank you so much for joining me today. This went a lot deeper than I ever anticipated, but I appreciated every minute of it and I thoroughly enjoyed it. I think this will get others to maybe stop and think a little bit of themselves and ask themselves why and ask themselves what their own expectations are and allow us to potentially reframe some of the reasoning behind what we do and why we do it each and every day. So, Paul, thank you once again. Thanks, Larry. Take care. <laughs>